0: Great. So our reading this evening is from Psalm 139, and you can find that on page 628 of the Church Bibles. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you lords know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, Account them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Hello everyone, Uh, thank you Emma for reading and thank you to Phil the musicians for leading us through the first part of our time together. Please keep that psalm open, Um, it's really great that we've had that opportunity already to quieten our hearts and to pray and ask God to speak to us. I've been thinking for some reason this week about the verse in Isaiah that says, um, uh, this is the one I esteem, the Lord Almighty says, um, the one who is humble, contrite in spirit and who trembles at your words." I just thought it was really lovely that we had that opportunity to prepare our hearts as we come to listen to God speak to us through his word so Psalm 139 Uh, I wonder if you can remember the last time you were subjected to a search I guess for some of us here it may have been a a while ago this was perhaps one of the uh, few benefits of the pandemic lockdowns it was pretty much against the law to go anywhere so uh, no need for anyone to search us no luggage search or worse still full body scan at the airport No search of rucksacks or handbags at tourist attractions, music venues, or stadiums. Uh, No random stop and search in the streets. Not that I ever have been, thankfully. But this idea of being searched is quite a negative concept, isn't it? I I don't imagine you jump for joy at the idea of someone rummaging through or X-raying your belongings or scanning and patting down your body, even if you have nothing to hide. seems very intrusive, uncomfortable, an invasion of privacy. But we put up with it because of what it leads to, a flight to an exotic destination, an evening of entertainment, a great sporting event, like Arsenal beating Spurs, for example. <laughs> well, did you know that your whole life is being continually and intensely searched by the God who made you? Search not only outwardly, but to the depths of your innermost being? Because this is the reality David writes about in this song, written, you know, for the director of music. That's the ancient equivalent of a worship pastor, I think. In essence, David describes being thoroughly searched by the inescapable God. Now, we know this is the heart of Psalm 139 because of a simple literary device It's often found in biblical literature. The technical term is an inclusio, but let's call it a pair of bookends. When similar language is repeated at the beginning, and end of a unit or a book of scripture, it forms a pair of bookends, and the two bookends hold together the content in between under a common theme. It's a bit like a, a library or a bookshop, where a, one shelf will contain um, sort, of, sort of books on a similar subject. Uh, if you do all, you're reading on a Kindle, you'll need to use your imagination, I'm afraid here. But look with me how David begins. Verse one, "You have searched me, Lord." And you know me. And then look towards the end of the psalm. David turns this thought into a request. You have searched me and you know me, but verse 23 Search me, God, and know my heart. He prays for more of the same. So those are the bookends. And what comes in between is the unfolding detail of what it looks like and feels like to be searched by the living God. And I want you to notice that David doesn't consider it intrusive or uncomfortable to be examined by God in this way. Now, he calls this uh, knowledge wonderful, verse 6. In verse 14, he says, I praise you. In verse 17, God, uh, he describes God's penetrating thoughts as precious to me. So David doesn't reluctantly put up with God's searching like we might do at the airport. He delights in it. Why? Well, because of what it leads to. What he calls, verse 24, the way everlasting If we'll put up with intrusive human searching at an airport in order to reach our dream destination, well, how much more should we delight in, even pray for, our maker's wonderful searching in order to reach a glorious, eternal destination? Well, let's look at some of the detail, then. The structure of the psalm is clear from how the uh, NIV lays it out. So if you've got Psalm 139 open in a Bible on a device, you'll see there are four sections, or stanzas, as poets call them. Each stanza has six verses— And each makes its own distinct contribution to this overall theme of being searched by the inescapable God. And in describing this divine examination, David reveals some awe-inspiring truths, attributes of God, uh, that we'll see as we go through. First section then, verses 1 to 6. The Lord knows me intimately. The Lord knows me intimately. You may have noticed the first six verses are dominated by knowing verbs. You know, you perceive, you discern, you are familiar with. Notice David addresses <clears throat> excuse me, addresses God as Lord in verse 1. It's the personal covenant name of God, reserved for those in relationship with him. And as he prays, David is aware that he's speaking to the all-knowing God. If you prefer the uh, theological term, the God who is omniscient. It's an adjective that cannot be used of any other being. The Lord God alone is the all-knowing one. God has infinite knowledge of anything that can possibly be known about everything, everyone, every event, every situation. He knows every intricate detail about every single fact, past, present, and future. And he has this complete knowledge, not merely at his fingertips... So that he has to sort of flick through some files or check his notes or inquire of a divine search engine. No, he has the most perfect grasp of all knowledge continuously. If I can put it this way with reverence, God is always on, always instantly connected to all knowledge. Now David's focus in this first section is on God's intimate knowledge of him personally and by implication of you and me too. Just look with me how comprehensive God's knowledge is. He knows everything I do. Verse two, you know when I sit and when I rise. So God knows your daily routine inside out. When the alarm goes off in the morning and you get up, or maybe hit snooze, he knows. When you sit down to eat breakfast, if you bother with breakfast and if you bother to sit, he knows. Whether you sit in the office, the van, Classroom, the lecture hall, the staff canteen, the GP surgery, Costa coffee, the cinema, the pub, on your sofa, on your favorite bench. God knows. He not only knows everything I do, but he also knows everything I think. End of verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. That word translated thoughts has a broad meaning in the Hebrew. It includes purposes, aims, feelings, desires, motives. God knows them all. And we're not talking the kind of mind-reading illusion nonsense you get on Britain's Got Talent. No, God doesn't even need to be in the same room as me. He can discern my thoughts from afar. Uh, I was brought up in, a, in an Anglican church, please don't hold that against me. Um, one of the, the great things about the Anglican church is, is the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Bear with me, it really is a great thing because it's packed full of biblical truth. Uh, Still today, I remember this line from what's called the Collect for Purity. I must have recited this hundreds of times as a boy. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. I can see we must have some other ex-Anglicans here because you were nodding along as I was reciting that. Uh, A bit terrifying as a young boy, even more so as a rebellious teen with plenty to hide. But I have to say, as a believer, sheer delight because it means I can be real with God in prayer I have to be real he knows it all anyway he knows me inside out but it's not only everything I do and everything I think the inescapable God knows everywhere I go verse 3 you discern my going out that is my public life and my lying down my private life including of course who I lie down with or if I lie down alone Indeed, God is familiar with all my ways. And just like the English word, so the Hebrew word for ways can mean the actual ways or paths I take, or it can mean my mannerisms and habits. Uh, We sometimes say, don't we, oh, don't worry, that's just one of his ways. Or she insists on doing it this way. Well, literal or figurative, God is acquainted with all my ways. There's the heavenly equivalent of CCTV everywhere. God's knowledge of me doesn't stop there. He also knows everything I say. Remarkably, though, this knowledge goes way beyond just hearing every word I speak or maybe post online. Now, take a look at verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Now, we have to dwell there a moment. This is mind-blowing. Anyone know what I'm going to say next? would be a neat party trick if you did. You could probably make money out of it on TikTok or YouTube. But even as I'm formulating words in my head to speak, God knows exactly what I'm about to say. Those times when I speak without first getting my brain in gear and wish I'd held my tongue, God knows. The times I'm desperate to speak in a meeting or to pray at a home group but I'm fearful or can't get a word in edgeways and feel frustrated, God knows. Well, no wonder David feels completely surrounded by this infinite knowledge God has of him. Verse five, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Now, we have to say that if if another person knew you to this extent and was hemming you in like this, well, I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, uh uh-oh, stalker alert. I mean, I'd be wondering if this is perhaps coercive control, Googling how do I get a restraining order I mean, this is serious stuff. But you notice David doesn't find this idea of an all-knowing, God, inescapable God in the slightest bit oppressive. You no, know, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He's simply blown away by this idea of God knowing him this thoroughly. He can't quite get his head around it all. Now, there's an important thing to remember when we're reading the Psalms. As with the whole of the Old Testament, the Psalms speak ultimately of great King David's greater descendant, King Jesus. Psalm 139 is no exception. It's intended to point us forward to Jesus. So we should look for echoes in the Gospels of the Lord that David describes here in this Psalm. So think, for example, of Luke 5. Jesus healing the paralyzed man, lowered through the roof. Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Uh, then we're told the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, thinking, not saying, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You remember what comes next? Luke 5, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Lord, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You, Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, you know what I'm thinking, even at this very moment. Now you may be thinking, is he ever going to get to the second section? Yes, I am. The Lord knows me intimately, but secondly, verses 7 to 12, the Lord holds me securely. As David contemplates the wonderful reality of the God who knows him intimately, it's as if he now ponders, would it even be possible to escape God's penetrating gaze and infinite knowledge of him. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Literally, where can I flee from your face? And David now runs through in his mind all the places he can imagine running to. But in each place, the outcome is the same. God is there. Indeed, God is everywhere. The theological term here is omnipresent. Once again, it's an attribute unique to God. So verse 8, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, more literally Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. So how about if verse 9, I rise on the wings of the dawn; if I settle on the far side of the sea? It seems David is imagining here going to the extremities of east where the sun rises, and west, often represented in ancient Hebrew, by the sea. But look, verse 10, even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast. Well, what if I say, verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me? Then I'll be hidden from the sight of the omnipresent God, won't I? No, same result. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The everywhere present God has perfect night vision. Don't imagine those grainy, green, fuzzy images of the special ops forces with their night vision goggles. No, no, end of verse 12, darkness is as light to you. No matter what depths of darkness, depravity, or difficulty I fall into, or even if I find that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, it's all always crystal clear. To the all seeing God who is everywhere. We're not told what was happening in David's life when he wrote these lyrics. If it was after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, I guess he would have been desperate to flee from God's presence, get as far away as possible. But if you've ever tried to run and hide from God, you'll know it's futile. I spent the first 24 years of my life on the run from God, determined to live life my way in a self indulgent pursuit of pleasure. But wherever I pursued selfish gain, the Lord pursued me with his amazing grace. I've had plenty of times when I've been on the run as a believer too. Because I've let God down massively, fallen into sin. But you know, I think the emphasis in this section is on the Lord holding us securely, even if we do mess up and let him down. Just think about that phrase in verse 10. No matter how far east or west I try to flee, says David, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's surely speaking of protection and security, isn't it? Again, let's think gospel echoes. The promise of Jesus in John 10, perhaps. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Lord Jesus, your right hand will hold me fast. Just as we put a dead bolt on a front door for extra security, so we have the added assurance of being in the Father's hand too. Praise be to the inescapable God whose double grip holds me securely. Even if in weakness I fall into sin, even if I long to hide from him, or when I simply find myself walking in darkness with no light. But how is it that God has this infinite knowledge of me? And why is he so concerned to hold me securely? Well, notice the connecting word at the beginning of verse 13. For, it's because, verses 13 to 18, the Lord made me wonderfully. In this third stanza, David speaks of the all-powerful God. The God who made and sustains everything. Uh, The theological term here is omnipotent. Another attribute unique to God. God knows me intimately and is well able to hold me securely because he is the all-powerful one who created me so wonderfully. So verse 13, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, Notice David begins with what he calls my inmost being. Uh, The Hebrew word literally means kidneys. But the Bible most often uses it figuratively to speak of the seat of human emotions and affections, what we would today call the heart. And this third stanza reminds us, I think, of why as Christians we must be lovingly concerned with the dignity, sanctity, and preciousness of every human life, from conception through to death, because each person is knit together by the all-powerful God created in his image. And questions of precisely when life begins and at what stage a fetus becomes viable are actually secondary. Because remarkably, human life begins not in the womb, but in the mind of the creator, King Jesus. The one Peter calls in Acts 3, the author of life. Remember how God says to his prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I set you apart. And brothers and sisters in Christ, before God formed and knit you together in the womb, he knew you too. To those in Christ, Paul writes Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now I can't get my head around that, I don't know about you. And this thought of God knitting him together leads David to worship his all-powerful creator. Verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Now, of course, God didn't only create my inner being, he made my body too. So David shifts his focus to bones in verse 15. My frame, my skeleton was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That secret place, depths of the earth, they're euphemisms, poetic ways of referring to the womb, where every embryo's growth and development are governed by the divine knitting and weaving of almighty God. Now, some may be thinking, well, if God knit me together inside and out, why do I have emotional and physical imperfections? Or why this physical or mental disability? Indeed, why are some born without certain limbs or with genetic disorders or life-restricting illnesses? Well, we need to remember that ever since the fall in Genesis 3, God has been doing his knitting and weaving within the context of a fallen, broken world. So actually, not one of us is born perfect some of you are looking a little bit shocked by that i'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news but even the best looking amongst us the fittest the healthiest we each have an imperfect body that is subject to decay which is why paul writes that christians groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies Now, of course, King Jesus gave us wonderful foretaste of that day when we'll get those new resurrection bodies by healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, restoring a man's withered hand, healing the woman subject to bleeding for 12 years. Still today, God is sometimes pleased to intervene with miraculous healings, but we mustn't expect now in full what the Bible only ever promises in full when Jesus returns. So for now, whatever I look like, whatever imperfections, illness, disorder, disability I might long to be free from, I can join with David in praying confidently, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. And then listen to this, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We have to dwell on that for a moment. This is breathtaking. Breathtaking. Do you know that before you were born, God ordained, that is predetermined, the precise number of days you would live, and he wrote them in his book of life. Now, the implications of that are multiple, not least that my days, including the day of my death, are in his hands. Who of you, by worrying, says Jesus, can add a single hour to your life? While these thoughts about this all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful creator caused David to simply burst out in praise and wonder. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Most likely David's thinking of waking at the end of all the days ordained for him, hinting at resurrection. And for Christians, of course, to fall asleep in Christ is to go to be with him, to wake in his immediate presence, which is better by far. Now I'm sure uh, most of us are very familiar with Psalm 139. I wonder if you've ever thought of this psalm, if only David had stopped at verse 18. I can see some of you have had that thought. Why spoil a beautiful song with this sudden change of tone? All this talk of God slaying the wicked and David hating them. But in fact, verses 19 to 24 are crucial to understanding the psalm. Not least because they contain the only two requests that David makes of God in this uh, song prayer. So finally, and briefly, the Lord forgives me and leads me to eternity. Verses 19 to 24. I think we make best sense of this final section by focusing on David's two prayer requests. The first is a plea, verse 19, that God would slay the wicked away from me you who are bloodthirsty. It's as if having basked in all these glorious thoughts about God, David is suddenly reminded of the harsh reality of living in a world where most people don't acknowledge or honor this awesome God. That's the reality of the world most of us will enter into again tomorrow morning. Importantly, he's not seeking personal vengeance here. Now, I want you to notice he's concerned about the glory and honor of the awe-inspiring God he's been singing about. And stressing that he is on the Lord's side. So notice the emphasis in verse 20. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Or verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? Now, although the language of hatred is stark and raw, David only counts them his enemies, verse 22, because they're enemies of his God, who is holy, holy, holy. And I'm sure that many of us here will have experienced a measure of righteous anger when people speak evil about the Lord Jesus that we love or blaspheme his name. Or when we see on the news bloodthirsty acts of violence. Two weeks ago, an 87-year-old man stabbed to death on his mobility scooter. Or only this week, Olivia, the nine-year-old girl, shot in Liverpool. I've certainly felt anger when I've watched reports of atrocities committed against the ukrainian people and others around the world i think actually we're meant to feel angry when we see those things and so david really is simply praying what we would pray god's kingdom to come he's simply praying for wickedness violence and injustice to be finally banished but notice even as he prays for the wicked to be judged It's as if David is immediately reminded that the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, all-holy God sees all the wickedness in his own heart and life too. That as Paul would write hundreds of years later, there is no one righteous, not even one. And so his second request is for the inescapable God to continue to search him, deal with his personal sins and save him. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now David praises, of course, with restricted vision before the coming of Christ, but he knew enough about everlasting life to know that he could not enter relying on his own righteousness. No, he needed the inescapable God to search him, deal mercifully with all his offensive ways, and lead him there. And we, of course, now have the benefit of looking back, don't we, on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the one whose crucifixion has paid the penalty for all my offenses and your offenses against a holy God, past, present, and future. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. And amazingly, because of Jesus' death, the all-knowing God now actively doesn't forget He actively chooses to remember my sins no more. And Jesus, of course, doesn't simply lead me in the way everlasting. He says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, wonderfully, the way everlasting is still open and available to every one of us, to all our family and friends and colleagues and neighbors too. But I must be willing for this holy God to search me, And know my heart, see if there is any offensive way in me. Because the Bible tells us elsewhere that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In fact, one of the proofs that I am trusting in Jesus to save me is that I will increasingly delight in and pray for the Lord's divine searching as he prepares me for everlasting life. And if my trust is in Jesus this evening, I can be confident that he will lead me there. Paul expresses it like this to the Thessalonian Christians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That is, make you thoroughly holy. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to this promise. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the way everlasting is open because of the Lord Jesus, because he came to die to pay the price that would satisfy your wrath for our offenses. Father, we pray this evening, please search us afresh. Know our hearts, know our anxious thoughts. See, Lord, if there be any offensive way in us. And please, Father, forgive us, cleanse us afresh and lead us, we pray, in the way everlasting through Jesus Christ,
0: amen.